Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Harry Potter Chapter Chat, the podcast that relives the magic of Harry Potter one chapter at a time. My name is Anna. And I'm Zoe. And you're joining us here at HPCC in book one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, chapter three, The Letters from No One. A classic chapter, I feel, Zoe. Yeah, classic. A lot of humour. I mean, back to the Dursleys and their just ridiculous life. (laughs) It does take a rather ridiculous turn in this chapter, which provides a lot of comedy. Should we just, should we get right in? Let's get straight in. I think I'll I'll just hit this up straight away and just talk about the issue that we had with Dudley and Harry's ages. Okay, good plan. Very the beginning of this chapter provides a lot lot more information. Well not a lot more, but some more information. And it says that the summer holidays start and Dudley has already broken all of his new birthday presents. So that leads me to believe that his birthday is maybe around May or June. Mm. Perhaps June. So I would suggest that he is, as we said before, about a month older than Harry. Good detective skills there, working on uh, on their ages. I bet if you Wikipedia it, it's got their like exact birthdays, but oh well. Probably, but you know, it's it's fun to work these things out yourself. It is. <laughs> so we oh, we should probably start with a summary. We always forget the summary. Ah, uh, yes, the summary. It's because we just think that everybody knows what happens in Harry Potter. This is true, but it's. Uh, there may be people listening that are not actually reading along, they're just listening to us. Shall I, shall I go for a summary? Yeah, you go for it. Let us know what happens in the letters from no one. So uh, we begin with Harry coming to the end of his punishment, and it describes his experience of the summer holidays, him looking forward to starting at a different school to Dudley. We learn that Dudley is going to his father's old school, a very posh school. And the But the main action of the chapter revolves around the post. A letter for Harry arrives which he is not allowed to read, it is confiscated and the chapter is sort of chronicles the disintegration of (laughs) Vernon's sanity uh, as he goes to more and more extreme measures to stop Harry from getting his letters uh, which seem to be coming in vaster quantities and in more extreme ways they seem to be reaching reaching the house and uh, this eventually culminates in them leaving to a shack in the middle of nowhere actually it's in Cokeworth I believe yeah near Cokeworth yeah which is a made-up town by the way and there is it's Cokeworth where Snape lives no that's Spinner's End Spinner's End is that in Cokeworth I don't... I'd, I think we'll need to do some more detective work on that. Okay, sorry about the interruption to the summary there. It just suddenly occurred to me that would be a nice little tie-in. Um, <laughs> yes, and they go out in a little boat to a shack on rock, and Harry counts down to his birthday, and we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger when somebody is knocking on the door outside at midnight. Actually, ironically... On this very day, it's the 31st of July, right now, which is Harry's birthday, so... Happy birthday, Harry. And happy birthday to to JK. We love both of you. We love you both very much. And uh, what a fitting, fitting chapter that we're actually on his birthday, on his birthday. (laughs) You you couldn't time it any better. You couldn't. We actually didn't plan this, but here we are. So anyway, now we can go back to the beginning. Uh, One question I had... 
Zoe, tell me, why is a 10-year-old boy allowed to roam the streets on his own? It says, <laughs> Harry was glad school was over, and uh, Dudley and all his friends liked to do Harry hunting. And it, then it says, this was why Harry spent as much time as possible out of the house, wandering around and thinking about the end of the holidays. Such a philosophical young child. <laughs> Well, this is this is the this is the adult reading. Mm, yeah. I feel like there's two ways to read every chapter, and I slip between the two. There's the kind of there's the magic of it. There's the child reader in you that just gets like swept up in the in the world and in the emotions and in the action. And then there's then there's the adult reader that that's, that questions why a ten year old is is being unsupervised <laughs> for long long periods of time. Uh, which makes for less fun reading, but but does does show how one has grown since they first read it, which <laughs> you'd hope so, considering I was about nine. <laughs> yes, yes, nine, ten. Uh, shall we shall we move on to talking about the different schools that Dudley and Harry are meant to be going to? Yes. So uh, we know that Dudley is is going off to his dad's secondary school, Smeltings. I mean, it just, it's not even a nice name, is it, really? Smelting. It's such a good word. I really like <laughs> it to, like, to say. Smeltings. Smeltings. Yeah, and uh, so he's going there with Piers Polkis, another great name, while Harry's going to Stonewall High, the local comprehensive, which they're not known for their excellent standards, are they, Anna? <laughs> they're not. But <laughs> I would really rather go to Harry's. School Definitely. Of the two of them. <laughs> Mainly for the reason of Dudley's school uniform. Yeah. Do you want to read the full description of that? I will. Uh, Smelting's boys wore maroon tailcoats, orange knickerbockers, and flapped straw hats called boaters. They also carried knobbly sticks used for hitting each other while the teachers weren't looking. This was supposed to be good training for later life. I mean, it's outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> I just, I mean, where should we begin? The the maroon tailcoat, the orange and knickerbocker. Would you like to describe what a knickerbocker is, Zoe? Okay, I actually did have to look up what a knickerbocker was. Turns out it's kind of Henry VIII breach where it's gathered at the knee or calf. So they're not full-length trousers. They're three-quarter lengths, I suppose we would say today. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, gathered tight around the knee. I wonder. I wonder if Smelting's boys have to wear coloured socks. Quite possibly, and straw hats. Yes, boater hats. Oh yeah, I feel like a boater hat's very, very much a summer item. It's not going to do much in the rain, is it? No. And also, let's discuss the sticks, the smelting stick. <laughs> because I have never heard, even even the oldest and most prestigious boys' school in, in the UK, which is called Eton, I don't think they carry sticks, do they? I'd, not that I've ever heard, no. <laughs> this is pure ingenious invention of J.K. Rowling, and I love it. And it features a lot in this chapter for comedy value. <laughs> The smelting stick. Um, what I also love is that somehow, even though he's wearing this ridiculous attire, Dudley's still able to feel superior to Harry. I think I would rather be Harry in what he describes as 
bits of old elephant skin. <laughs> I would definitely take that over this uniform. We've also, we've passed over one of the first proper sassy Harry moments that we get in his response to Dudley about the toilet. So, um... <laughs> So Dudley tells Harry that they stuff people's heads down the toilet the first day at Stonewall and he asks him if he wants to go upstairs to practice. Uh, and Harry replies, no thanks, the poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it. It might be sick. <laughs> then he ran before Dudley could work out what he'd said. <laughs> so witty. I love this ten-year-old boy. <laughs> and Harry does have quite a quick wit. Yes. There's a, quite a few moments, like, as we get on, particularly maybe with Snape and Malfoy, mm. he's got some good, fast retorts on him. He does. He just always seems to have them. I don't, I don't know about you, Anna, but I always... I think of these witty comments about ten minutes after the said situation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> By then, it's pretty useless. There's there's no point in thinking of the witty comment now. And then when we're when I'm there and I want to say the witty comment, I'm kind of just left there going, oh, oh well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. It never it it never comes out right. Yeah. But Harry's got it. He's. I mean, we can thank the Dursleys for that. He's clearly had years of training with Dudley around. Yeah. So then we have the infamous, infamous moment, the moment all Harry Potter fans wish mm. happened. The Hogwarts letter arrives, though of course the first time reader would not know that this is a Hogwarts letter. Which is funny to me, I can't imagine reading this and not knowing who was sending them. Yeah, I mean the, the chapter's called The Letters from No One, but we all know it's The Letters from Hogwarts. Even back as a, a first-time reader, you probably were aware of the basic plot. You know, you, it's on the back yeah. of the cover, isn't it, that he's a wizard. So you, you, you'd have an inkling what was going yeah. on here. And obviously we've, we've been introduced in the previous chapters. We've been put on a vantage point that Harry doesn't have. We know more information about him and about the world than he does. We have an insight as, as the reader. So we... Did your Hogwarts letter ever arrive? I I find it difficult to talk about this <laughs> because it did not. It did not. I have good news for you. Would you like to hear it? What? <laughs> this could be life-changing. I stumbled across a pin on Pinterest. Yes. Uh, which is, I think it's a screenshot from Tumblr, actually. And the person on Tumblr is called O Lumos. And this is what it says. <laughs> Friendly reminder that anyone born between 1985 and 1998 didn't get their Hogwarts letter because Voldemort's ministry wiped out the record of muggle-borns. <laughs> and then <laughs> someone's responded, you know, you, you can make comments, someone's responded, is it really bad that this is one of the single most reassuring things I have ever read? And then someone else has responded, I think about this all the time. <laughs> was that you? <laughs> it was not me, but we are in good company. I love this. I love that there's an explanation. Yeah, that is, that's, I mean, I'm still disappointed, but there's an actual reason, so it's okay. Instead, we're all a bunch of damp squibs. 
Damp squibs, indeed. <laughs> yeah, we can start our own squib school for people that were erased from the from the Mogulborn register. I kind I know that you're not serious, but I kind of want you to be. <laughs> that will be our next project after after we do our you know four year long project of all the <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter books a chapter a week. We'll then set up a squib school. I think we'll do well. I think it will get business. A lot of yeah. Um, we will make sure that the uniforms are nowhere near as ghastly as as Dudley. Yeah, not not cool. Not cool. Let's talk about the actual letter that arrives mm. because the description of it, I feel I have been marred by the films. So I very much picture I picture the heavy parchment that's described as sort of yellowish, you know, thick paper, um, but with with a red seal and black writing. Whereas in, in actual fact, it's emerald ink and a purple seal. That's it's it's kind of annoying that the film has done that. I mean, it's not again like like Harry's green eyes. It's not a big deal, but I kind of wished. I mean, green emerald green writing and a purple seal is is kind of iconic. I think much more so than you know your regular black ink and red wax. And also, isn't doesn't Dumbledore wear an emerald green cloak in the first chapter? So it's kind of kind of a connection. I do. I let's just speaking about this. I do think that the book paints wizards and the Wizarding World a lot more colourful than the films do. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I think that's quite valid. There's a lot of emeralds and violets, and it's quite vivid. Yeah, it's a it's a colourful world, which is I think a nice twist in some ways on the. I mean, before this series came out, the sort of image of witches and wizards and magic was very much black and dark mm. whereas this is a, it's kind of a nice twist on that I think. Yeah it is. Uh, shall we talk about how the letter arrives and the reactions that this causes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Harry, bless him, decides to open it in full view which is clearly a mistake. You'd have thought he'd learned that was probably a bad idea. And you, would you like to describe the reaction that this letter receives? I would love to, because it's, again, the hilarious Dursleys. Uncle Vernon is described, his face went from red to green faster than a set of traffic lights. And it didn't stop there. Within seconds, it was the greyish white of old porridge. (laughs) And And then Vernon passes it to Petunia. And for a moment, it looked as though she might faint. She clutched her throat and made a choking noise. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's so extreme. And I love, again, I think it's there's more of a childlike tone here in this, these early chapters of the first book, these like very sort of vivid images she paints. So we, we've already got, you know, old elephant skin and now we've got old grey porridge and traffic lights. It's very visual. And it's just so funny to imagine. And but I what I also just love is their naivety about this. Like surely Petunia has grown up. She saw Lily get her letter. She she knows what this is about. She should have been expecting it for sure. That is true. I I totally forgotten about that. The whole reason Petunia is estranged from Lily began with the fact that Lily got a letter and Petunia didn't. So this is like emotionally distressing for her. <laughs> maybe maybe she maybe she blanked it out. She was just like completely psychologically ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe suddenly retrieving this suppressed memory. <laughs> you know what? I can't I can't think of a situation where I 
anyone would react by clutching their throat and making a choking noise, but I, <laughs> I'd quite like to try it out next time someone gives me some surprising news. I'm just going to clutch my throat and choke. <laughs> someone says, oh, we're out of milk. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's brilliant. And I just think it just gets funnier and funnier from here as they attempt to ignore these letters. And let's talk about that for a minute, because I think Petunia is actually onto something when she says, shall we write back? Because mm. I think that would have actually been a much more sensible option <laughs> to begin some sort of negotiation, whereas Vernon is all up for <laughs> complete denial and ignoring it, which... It's just, it's also, it's quite British, isn't it, really? It's like, we'll yeah. just pretend nothing is happening. Yeah. And sort of skipping slightly ahead, I do wonder if the letter had never been delivered in person, as it will be in the next chapter, what, like, at what stage would he have given up with <laughs> these letters? Like, Would they have wrestled the person to the ground? <laughs> I mean, what would would they have... I feel like his next step would have been flying to a different country. Yeah, that's a good point. And I love, again, skipping ahead, but when he's sort of taking, like, strange turns when he's driving <laughs> and muttering to himself, that'll shake them off. Shake them off, shake them off. Shake them off. <laughs> This is the absolute wrong way to deal with anything in in life, but it's very amusing. Especially anything magical. Uh, Magic is going to find you, let's face it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So some of my favourite moments of this sort of slow unravelling of of Vernon. Harry standing on his face <laughs> to begin with. His, um, how is his face described? Uh, something big and squashy. <laughs> In addition to beefy, he's big and squashy. <laughs> I just love that image of him in a sleeping bag by the door. Like, it's so extreme. And poor Harry stands on his face. <laughs> I love it. Though Harry is quite clever to think about you know, getting up early and going out, you know, he's quite, quite yeah. wily. I, I quite sadly, I would have just done what Vernon did. I think I probably would have sat cross-legged in front of the letterbox rather than actually try and get the postman before he even reaches. And I think we should also bring up the unfortunate but amazing scene in the film does sort of paint Harry as a bit of an idiot because it, it's amazing visual effects and they're in the lounge it's Sunday no post on Sunday and then it, they fly through the chimney and the whole room suddenly fills with letters and many people have commented that it is just ridiculous that Harry would not have been able to grab one of those hundreds of letters. <laughs> that That is the worst hand-eye coordination I've ever witnessed. <laughs> uh, which is uh, ironic considering he goes on to be a seeker. <laughs> yes, without, without any training as well. Like, the first time that he's on a broomstick he is able to catch Neville's remember all. But nope, can't catch a, a letter in a room full of a hundred. It doesn't quite, it doesn't happen happened quite like that in the book. So the we first get this incident where he, he stands on, on Vernon's face. The next time he's he nails up the letterbox. Yeah, so Vernon stayed home from work, which seems surprising to me. 
I mean, yeah, to take a day off for this. I mean, is that because he's just so irate about it and just doesn't want to be away from the situation? Or is that because it genuinely takes him a whole day to do a little piece of DIY? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Quite possibly. We have actually also skipped over a big moment. Harry's move from the cupboard. Ah, yes, yes. The cupboard to the his room. First thing I'd like to mention about the cupboard is that it does describe uh, Uncle Vernon visiting him in the cupboard and it does say that he he squeezes in which makes me imagine it it is actually bigger than we perhaps give it credit for. It must be a large cupboard under the stairs. If Vernon, I mean obviously they're squashed in there but if Vernon can get in it I think that's... Mm, Yeah it, it must be a lot larger than we first thought. And then as you correctly pointed out in our first podcast, this is the the moment where he moves upstairs. Yes, to Dudley's second bedroom. A necessity for all Dudley characters in life. Two bedrooms. <laughs> it just again shows the horrendous mistreatment of Harry that this is a four-bedroom house. <laughs> and two people are in one room, so there's three rooms left. Not one of them is going to have. Yeah. And even worse, that this second bedroom is full of just broken things. It's it's basically the garage or the attic of everyone's house. Mm. It's where the broken things and stuff that you don't want to deal with is is put. But it has to stay there because it's Dudley's belongings. And Dudley might want these things. And Dudley is special and a little diddykins. It's true. And speaking of Dudley, his reaction <laughs> to this upgrade in Harry's life is one of a kind. Classic Dursley. You can, you, knowing what we do about the Dursleys, we can understand why Dudley reacts this way. Shall I read the reaction? Yes, please do. Dudley was in shock. He'd screamed, whacked his father with his smelting stick, been sick on purpose, kicked his mother, and thrown his tortoise through the <laughs> greenhouse roof, and he still didn't have his room back. I really <laughs> want to talk about this tortoise. Because that's probably my favourite line of this chapter. Why, why do the Dursleys own a tortoise? When did they get this? And It's a good question. Where do they keep it? Maybe it's kept in the greenhouse and that's why it's thrown through the greenhouse roof. That would make sense. But I just, I can't imagine the circumstances under which they decided to get a tortoise. <laughs> I feel like it's it's probably one of those situations where Dudley just said, I want it. So Petunia and Vernon were like, yeah, okay. Have a tortoise. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And this is our sort of third third animal in the third chapter. We had mm-hmm. uh, McGonagall as a cat in the first chapter and then the boa in the second. Mm-hmm. And now we've got a tortoise here. And it got me thinking, there's actually a lot of animal stuff that goes on. Yeah. Also in Dudley's second bedroom, there's an empty cage which had a parrot on which he swapped for an air rifle. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> Interesting swap. Yeah. I feel like someone came off a much better than the other in that swap. Well, which do you prefer, the the rifle or the parrot? The rifle. Oh. No, the parrot. <laughs> the parrot. <laughs> I just wonder, like, under what circumstances these ten-year-olds... Are swapping air rifles. <laughs> I know. Was this some sort of, like, back-alley transaction? <laughs> I also love the little detail that Dudley had sat on the air rifle and bent it. Yes. <laughs> Such is the the weight of that poor boy. Oh, JK really doesn't shy away from the fat, does she? No, there's <laughs> they're straight up fat jokes. Yeah, there's no no disguising. It, it, it appeals to the to the to the childlike mind. 
That's true. That's true. So um, after the the face squashing incident, we then get the the hammering up of the letterbox, which Vernon attempts to do at one point with a piece of fruitcake. <laughs> As you do. And then we get a description of him spreading marmalade on his newspaper. Again, classic. We've all been there. <laughs> all done it. All done it. And then the the chimney incident. And then another great line in this chapter. Him pulling tufts of hair out of his moustache. <laughs> How large is this? <laughs> it must hurt a lot. And I, I love the irony that in trying to maintain normality and trying to stamp out the the magic and all the the things that are extraordinary in fact vernon is just becoming the epitome of abnormal and it's just deranged himself he is losing it there's no other way to say it that line about the piece of fruitcake is i think actually my favorite line in this chapter just because of the subtlety and the irony in there that uncle vernon saying these people's minds work in strange ways petunia they're not like you and me uh, said Uncle Vernon, trying to knock in a nail with the piece of fruitcake Aunt Petunia had just brought him. Uh, he's really not doing himself any favours, is he? No, it's just such great irony. It really is. Also, I've just thought of something while we're here. It says, <laughs> JK says that while Uncle Vernon hammered up all of the cracks in the front and back doors so no one could go out, he hummed a tune called Tiptoe Through the Tulips. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hum it to you, but I looked this up and it's it, extraordinary is the only word I can think of I plead with all of you to try and listen to tiptoe through the tulips and as you're listening imagine Uncle Vernon hammering (laughs) all the cracks around the front and back doors please do I'm definitely gonna do that I because I don't know what this tune is I I didn't do as good research as he did so I haven't looked it up I was I was surprised to see that it you know it was a real thing but it's I it left me speechless Wow. Okay. That will be my homework. I'll report back in the next pod. Uh, Also, we missed out the letters inside the eggs. Yes. Does that mean in the actual eggs or just like in the carton? No, I think they were in the eggs as they were cracked open. At least there is a deleted scene from the first film where that's what's depicted. Um, Petunia cracking eggs and the letters being inside. Which actually, like, as an egg lover... I would find that very distressing. <laughs> Not that the letter... I, the, the, it's fine that the letter's there. I just would also like my egg. <laughs> You'd also like your egg. You, how many eggs have you had in the past week? In the past week? Hmm. Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have a number on that for you. Quite a few. Quite a few. We've been doing a lot of baking recently, so a lot of eggs have been going into into baked goods. Anyway, what a tangent we've, we've got off. <laughs> Classic again. So then the infamous journey begins where they just set out randomly. Dudley's distressed because he's never been this badly treated and he's not really having anything to eat. And they get to Cokesworth, which we already mentioned. I mean, what do you think is just going through Vernon's mind here with all of this? I think he's got a serious case of tunnel vision. And he's definitely decided that Harry's not getting letters. And he's definitely decided that if he does get elsewhere as far away as possible, he will be able to stop it. I don't think he's recognised how deranged he's being. (laughs) No, he really hasn't. And like, bless her, Petunia's a pretty good (laughs) wife, I think. 
to just be like, okay, dear, we're just going to go with this. We're just going to, you know, it's like if your if your spouse had a sort of unusual hobby and you you think it's a bit crazy, but you just support them in it because uh-huh. they're just doing their thing. It's like that, but on a quite extreme level. And she's willing to bring her son along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> She must know that this isn't going to work. She she actually knows more about the the wizarding world than she lets on. There's the the slip up in Order of the Phoenix where she knows about Azkaban. Yeah, she is it is it the Order of the Phoenix where she receives Dumbledore's howler? Yes. I was I was just wondering that. I wonder what the conversation was like between Petunia and Vernon when Petunia said that she had a witch in the family. I think J.K. Rowling's written some extra stuff about the backstory of Petunia and and Vernon. I'll have to give that a read. Also, uh, another another gem from the world of Pinterest that I've stumbled across that I greatly enjoy. Again, I think this is probably a screenshot from Tumblr. Oh yeah, it uh-huh. features in one of BuzzFeed's articles. 29 times Tumblr raised serious questions about Harry Potter. So you can uh, look at the other 28 if you like. But this person called Suicidally Reckless has written, Do you think, like, when Hogwarts kept sending more and more letters to Harry in more and more ridiculous ways and Mr Dursley was losing his mind, that Dumbledore was just sitting in the headmaster's office, giggling? (laughs) (laughs) And do you know what I think he was also doing? Having a sherbet lemon. Oh, yeah. The inappropriate show at Lemon. Just sort of... I don't know how he'd be quite watching it. It's some sort of pensive way of being uh-huh. able to watch these happenings and just having a right old <laughs> chuckle. A chortle or a chuckle, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Although, we must, we must give credit here. Dumbledore is not responsible for sending out these letters. It is McGonagall. The esteemed Professor McGonagall, yeah. So, Zoe, I have a question for you. Do you think this is the standard protocol for ignored Hogwarts letters? I mean, is this the first time they've been ignored? Or, I mean, it can't be. It can't be the first time. There there must be times when it's been ignored. I feel like it's probably the first time that someone's tried so hard to ignore them. Yes. But surely some Muggle families would just think, oh, well, this is a load of nonsense and throw it away. So do you think the standard procedure is to send more? Or is this like, a, do they decide on this particular tactic for the Dursleys? Maybe it is just a, a huge joke. And they think because it's the Dursleys, we'll just make them crazy. <laughs> I would quite enjoy if that was if that was what what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the rock. Where were, I'm, do these places exist in, in England? Apparently they do, <laughs> and they're available to rent out <laughs> for a night. It's just like when you get that bad, you know, the pictures online are great, and you book mm. in and you get there, and it is not as not as advertised. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to turn up to something that you think is a nice little lighthouse themed cottage on the sea, and then turn up to something that smelled strongly of seaweed, had gaps in the walls. It's distressing. And yeah, I just, I do just wonder if Hagrid, spoiler, if Hagrid hadn't turned up, would they have just sort of made a life there? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is that it then? That's where they live now. 
they would have just set up camp. For, uh, Uncle, I don't think they would have lasted very long, seeing as Uncle Vernon couldn't even light a fire. He used crisp packets to try and start a fire. <laughs> yeah, he's not the the brightest bulb, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> And then we get this um, sad little countdown to Harry's birthday. Before before we get to that, can we just talk about the fact that Harry is left to find the softest bit of the floor and curl up under the thinnest, most ragged blanket? Oh, Harry. How, how heartbreaking is that? It's just... It's, it is heartbreaking. The poor boy. But it's okay because he's about to received the best news he ever could. Yeah, this is true. His life is about to change, uh, which is maybe maybe what kind of Joe was doing. She was hamming up the, the mistreatment at this stage so that we're really ready for a change. But the going back to the, the adult reading and the child reading, the adult reader asks how he is not damaged by this upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. But let's think about it. In some ways, you know, he is being prepared well for book seven and mm. they have to, you know, make do and, you know, they do have a tent, I suppose, but when they're on, on the run, it's all good training. It's all good training. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. They do describe that Ron struggles under those conditions because he's used to a very comfortable, well-fed, well-looked-after Mm. upbringing anyway definitely skipping really far ahead with that but you know (laughs) just trying to find some sort of redeeming quality in this very sad situation (laughs) yeah yeah and of course I mean it it comes pretty quickly because the next chapter is where where it all happens this is true this is where it all changes and on his birthday do you think that was intentional um I think it would have to be they would they would know when his birthday was wouldn't they Otherwise, what what would be the defining factor that would stop them sending letters and to sign send Hagrid? Other than the fact that it's Harry's birthday. Oh, so you think that's why Hagrid was sent? Yeah. Does everybody get their letter around their birthday, or does it just happen to coincide that the time the letters are sent out is the time of Harry's birthday? Hmm. I feel like people do. I maybe I've read somewhere that they do get them on their birthday, but then. People have birthdays all over the shop, don't they? Mm. What What about, for example, my birthday's on the 1st of September, but that's the first day of term. Presumably you'd have got it on your 11th birthday, which would have been the first day of your last year at primary school. Yes, yes. So you'd have had a whole year of anticipation. Because if you think about it, if all of the letters were left till this till the summer holidays, then all the, all the Muggleborns will have, um, you know, got places in... Muggle schools. And there's all these children that just aren't turning up. The mayhem. How did the muggles cope? <laughs> Poor Stonewall, or whatever it's called, are expecting Harry Potter. <laughs> what a loss. get the impression that it's the kind of school that if the student didn't turn up, they would just be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mind. <laughs> whatever. So, um, yeah, Harry's, Harry's birthday, which is actually today, everybody, even if it's not... Well, it won't be the the 31st of July when you're listening to this. Go and have some cake. Have some cake on (laughs) Harry because he... He had a hard life. He had a hard life and we salute him. I feel like he didn't get birthday cake for the first eleven, first ten years of his life, so... Oh, no, yeah, he didn't. I mean, it didn't describe in this chapter he got a coat hanger. 
Yes, you did. He got a coat hanger. Uh, let's just find that actual quote because I did write it down. Yeah, so the Dursleys had given him a coat hanger and a pair of Uncle Vernon's old socks. Oh, that's it's not that's not a gift, Dursleys. That's not a gift. It's not. But we his his birthdays improve from here on out. Yeah, and again, just an insight into the absolute genius of. J.K. Rowling's world, the fact that Harry's birthday is late is an important point later on with the trace and his ability to do magic undetected from the ministry. That means that when we get towards the his 17th birthday in the last book, all of the the action is delayed for that summer. Say say his birthday had been like yours in September, then we change the story quite dramatically because... They wouldn't have needed yeah. to do the big escape from Privet Drive with the the seven potters and all of that. Yeah. So it's a significant thing. It is, yeah. It's, it's just it it amazes me just how like how she created the whole world and she knew right from the very first book she knew exactly what was going to happen. It is incredible. And again, there's those points forward even in this chapter we skipped over uh, Mrs. Fig. She's mentioned in chapter two, but he actually spends time with Mrs. Fig. Uh, one thing that also made me laugh was that it turns out that she'd broken her leg by tripping over one of her cats, <laughs> which I just thinks really funny. <laughs> um, and she didn't seem quite as fond of them as before. Um, d- literally, this thought has just occurred to me. Do you think if Mr. Filch met Mrs. Fig when they were both a bit younger that? that they would be together and have different lives. Steady on. He, it's You have to admit, they look like a good pair. You've got Mr Filch and Mrs Norris, who he loves dearly, and then Mrs Fig with her cats. They're both squibs. They could have set up a life. That I think <laughs> this is a new fan theory we're starting here. <laughs> oh, my. We could write a, a fan fiction on this. <laughs> Although we don't like Filch, do we want to? Do we want no, to... I mean we don't like Filch, but this is why I wonder if he'd met Mrs. Fig a bit earlier on in life. He could have been a bit softer. Yeah. Well, well, there is Harry and Hermione have a discussion at some point. I'm gonna take a stab at Goblet of Fire, I think, where they they have a discussion about the possibility of Mr. Filch and Madame Pince. Uh, is it Madame? Is she called Madame? Yes. Yes. Who is the librarian? Mm. They they wonder about that relationship, which also I guess is fair enough. I wonder if she has a cat. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps she doesn't. She doesn't get a lot of airtime, does she, Madame Pince? No, the librarian. She's an unfortunate background figure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she does a lot for the reputation of librarians. It's true. She, I, she is the epitome of your caricature of a librarian, isn't yeah. she? Yeah, is is now the point to confess, confess your day job, Zoe? <laughs> confess my day job. I am, in fact, a librarian at a magical uh, school of witchcraft and wizardry. <laughs> is it Hogwarts? Um, yes, that yeah. You uh, are Madame Pins. You're the new Madame. <laughs> Hey, I wonder if there's, like, a lot of wizard fiction 
because I think I think of the library as an academic library, and mm. obviously whenever they go there, they're always researching stuff like Nicholas Flamel or ways to stay yeah. alive underwater or the restricted mm. section. But I wonder if there's just like a, a general section of, of fiction. I wonder if they read books about muggles and find it fascinating. Oh, that oh, I you know who would love that, Mr. Weasley. He'd be all over it. He'd be proper into the muggle fiction. He'd have a muggle fan fiction website. He would. <laughs> uh, bless his heart. Um, oh. This is really irrelevant and probably, you know, we're nearing the end of the, the pod now. So this might be my last last uh, point. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm sat here recording this with my copy of The Philosopher's Stone just, just next to me on the desk. Mm. And um, I'm just looking at it, like actually just properly looking at it, and I am taken aback by two features of the front cover. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the artwork. I do think it's amazing. I can't draw for anything, so I appreciate people that can and can bring pictures to life. Thomas Taylor. Two distressing features. Harry's got a serious case of curtains going on with his hair. <laughs> Are you looking at the picture? I'm Are you feeling me? I'm you feeling see those me. curtains. <laughs> what is that? Is he in a 90s boy band? <laughs> Come on. Um, feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Uh, yeah. Feel a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that there is another train in the background. Mm. Everyone knows nine and three quarters is its own platform. Yes. I mean, I'd never noticed that. And I think we could also perhaps surmise that the scarf he's wearing, that is Gryffindor colours, is it not? It is. That is. He's presumably yet to attend. Would he have got his scarf before and be wearing it? I don't... Well, he wouldn't be able to, would he? Because he wouldn't know that. I mean, if he did buy it beforehand, it's optimistic. (laughs) We have definitely just gone beyond the boundaries of chapter three we have shall we shall we draw this thing to a close i think we should <laughs> <laughs> uh so thank you for joining us on episode three of harry potter chapter chat you've been listening to me zoe and me anna uh, and this has been book one harry potter and the philosopher's stone chapter three the letters from no one thank you to purple planet for our theme music and we'll see you next time for chapter four here on hpcc 